All right, welcome everyone. Uh, today uh, we have a very special guest, Spencer Lazar of General Catalyst. And I say very special guest because he's someone that I've known for quite a while, um, who's been in the European venture scene um, and has done just about everything. The US venture scene, uh, he's been a founder, and uh, now he's back in the US. And so he's got a very interesting story to tell us. And he's a good friend and I'm very excited to to hear how these things happen in his life. So, um, Spencer, maybe what we can kick off is a little bit about your, your background. Um, you, know, you were at Harvard, did economics, but then the first thing you did was go to product management. Walk us through kind of what happened there. Yeah, I mean, I was 20 whatever years old, very, very young, and uh, I can't say that it was entirely deliberate, but uh, you know, I had this, theory that um, you should, you know, when you're young and you don't really know what you want to do, you should go work for one of your heroes. And one of my heroes to this day is a guy here in New York uh, named Josh Coppell, uh, who is a just probably the most creative person that I know. And he had been making uh, basically commercials, uh, television shows, um, you know, a bunch of interesting pieces of traditional media. And this is in 2000, like the early 2000s, sort of mid to early 2000s. And, you know, there is no iPhone. There is, you know, there's no iPad, obviously. Um, and sort of we lived in this world where um, we had a color iPod in our pocket, cell phones. You know, people had like a trio, you know, that was like the coolest thing in the world. Um, Palm Pilot, yeah, me too. Love the stylus. <laughs> um, and Josh um, knew that he didn't want to be a traditional media services company. And this is sort of, I think, almost, you know, it was before Betaworks, before studios became a real thing in, in the startup world. And Josh basically plowed, and I saw this from afar because I've known Josh my, literally my whole life. Um, he was plowing the profits of his traditional media business into trying to ideate and create new things and actually make products. And so I was in college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And he sort of, you know, we struck this conversation up about, you know, what would X look like on the iPod, right? So X was anything from a restaurant review to a kid's game to um, little sort of media snacks, trivia, all these different things that ultimately would wind up being the first applications for the iPhone, if you remember the way that worked. Mm. And um, so, but we we were building things for the iPod. Mm. And so he sort of pitched me on this idea, come hang out. It was actually in his apartment, you know, classic sort of early startup story. Come to his apartment and let's just see what we can build. And so we built, what we built were these basically flip books. If you think about a photo album uh, as basically a series of still photographs and if you scroll through those, and you scroll quickly, it animates, it brings those things to life. Yeah, we always played that in school, where you'd have a little book and you'd... Exactly, so, so it, the company was called, and, and still is called, Scroll Motion. And this is, again, bef the, the scroll came from the iPod. Yeah. And so we made, um, you know, we were trying to figure out what people would do with these new devices in their pockets, and so... Uh, some of my first product, the, the first, first things that I prototyped for the iPod, again, because there was no app store, there wasn't none of this stuff, was making um, interesting sort of 
music videos. Uh, I remember making a product that was like trivia about mobsters. I mean, it was just funny, funny stuff. And the way you would experience it was you would basically download packs of image files that would effectively serve like a little non, not that interactive app, and you'd flip through it. So what were you? What were you? What were you building? Were, were you? Were you managing a team? Yeah. So it was. Yeah, you got a super small. So it was like five of us in his apartment, mm-hmm. you know. And remember, sort of. By day, a couple of those people are making commercials, and only a couple of us were um, making these more interactive products. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was just a couple of us fooling around, and I'm happy to tell you how we did it and all that stuff. But it was really simple, you know. It was a really simple idea. Literally, a, a we would make things that were produced in Final Cut Pro yeah. as videos, and you would export them as image files. And then the user via the click wheel on the phone could scroll through them. So it was just trying to figure out what people would do. And I mean, it, you made a big jump from that role to, you know, IVP. Yeah. Uh, and and being in, in sort of the venture world. Yeah. How did that transition happen? Because I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, it's like, it's a step. Is it yeah, another guy I mean, you admired or? Uh, so, I mean, if you had, if you actually had asked me when I was like 10 or 12 years old, I don't. I'm embarrassed to say this, but there was like somebody that was like a friend of a friend in our family that was a venture capitalist, and I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. And so I always sort of knew what it was growing up. Mm. And uh, and as I started building products and exploring, um, I just couldn't get this sort of idea of being kind of a catalyst and uh, and an ecosystem enabler out of my mind. And when I was a senior at Harvard, um, there are not many venture capital firms at the time that recruited kids out of college. Um, just a few, TA was one, Summit was another. Um, and I, I don't even know if they all uh, recruited at Harvard. I, I, in fact, I don't think maybe one of them did. Um, but Insight was, was, was one of these firms and they were, they were very, very smart. And if you followed the, the, the firm over the course of the past seven or eight years since I joined there, um, they've just gotten stronger and their edge has gotten better. And, um, you know, they made this this pitch, which was basically kind of like, you know, a glor- you're a glorified salesperson. I mean, never, never used the word, but, yeah. you know, here's a phone, come up with some good ideas. And if you work hard enough and, um, you know, think creatively enough, you'll uncover um, later stage opportunities that have never heard of venture capital before, but would either like to uh, diversify a little bit and take some chips off the table or need some capital to make some, you know, acquisitions, to make some big investments in the business. And I just thought it was the coolest opportunity in the world. And, um, you know, it was sort of one of the things that I've always been fascinated with. So I moved to New York, did that. And, um, you know, I look back at that sort of cohort of people that I started with and the, and the, and the sort of commitment to improving the venture model that they had there as being just like a real defining moment in my career. I really, really have nothing but good things to say about Insight as a firm and the people that work there. So, so I mean, usually for those that, that maybe are not familiar with the, the venture capital career path, you know, usually there is an aspiration that if you come in in the bottom that hopefully with time you'll become a partner. And so obviously the, the, the next question is, is, is important because Spencer, you took a big risk. You you left a firm that you know is very well known and has been very successful to move across the pond and to take uh, a role in another very well known fund, Excel. Mm-hmm. But that geographical shift, what what triggered that? What? Yeah, 
So honestly, I wish I could say there was it, that it was entirely professional. It wasn't, uh, although that was a big part of it. So um, I was somebody that you know never did the kind of study abroad thing. I never lived in any international countries. Didn't travel that much internationally growing up, um, and so there was a part of me. I you know there's a part of me that just kind of wanted to know if I could do it. Mm. And um, when I was, I was at Insight, I was having a great time and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And f- from a work perspective, I was always much more fascinated by early stage venture. And you, if you followed Insight over the you know, years, the firm's gotten way, way late stage. And even then you were starting to feel the pressure there that, you know, that the biggest checks they wanted to write were $20 million. The companies that they were investing in were real companies and there's nothing bad about that but it there weren't um there was far less creativity it felt like in the day-to-day of those businesses yeah. and so seeing about what i wanted to do and a number of my really good friends uh wound up going to work in venture in silicon valley and i you know kind of perhaps mischievously you know, wanted to do something that was a little nonconformist and wanted to do something that most of my peer group had not done um, and would kind of give me a different perspective on the world. And so uh, I got a, a call uh, from one of the partners, the then partners at Excel, a really sweet guy named Simon Levine, um, who kind of spent four, five, six months getting to know me and um, you know, I decided to make the leap and it was a big leap. I literally didn't know anybody when I got off the plane in London and that was part of the adventure and part of the thrill. Um, but again, I, I, what I did there and when Simon people, was now at Mosaic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was at index and he sort of had an interesting, uh, uh, trajectory himself. But the, um, the thing that I did there, which, which was really important for me and I, I sort of coach other people thinking about the venture industry to consider this is the fund structure was so unique. They had just raised their third fund. It was five people on the investment team. It was a $500 million new fund. They needed people to invest this money. Um, and Excel's an incredible firm um, with really decent people. And um, you know, I knew that if I went there, I could not get out of the way of doing deals. I mean, they would just be you know, coming at me left and right in large part just because of the structure of the organization. There weren't middle managers, there wasn't a huge pool. Remember, I was at Insight where they had yeah. 20 plus people on the junior investment team. and Excel, they had one other junior person who had just gotten there. Who uh, was really, that? Jeremiah Daly, who's, uh, who's actually raising a fund right now. He was at Highland uh, yeah. since. So also a super smart guy. So, you know, I uh, that was what it was about. It was about the adventure and it was about the opportunity. And, um, and I think I really got both. I look back at my time there and I think it was both incredibly productive and also very educational uh, yeah. in terms of learning about myself. So. Yeah. So that, that was, how, how long were you there for? I was just there two years. Two years? Yeah. Man. When, when was it that you ended? Uh, 2011. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you know, I remember very well that time and you know a lot of us kind of were at that same stage um a lot of our friends and peers who some of which became partners in other funds um and others which left venture and went into entrepreneurship and you were one of them yeah um and so i remember you know you left and you said i'm gonna go work on the startup what what was i remember sitting down with you over lunch somewhere on on near uh jacks or something i think and uh, and you were walking me through kind of what it was that you were doing. Yeah. What what was that idea? 
So the idea is something that uh, I'm still very passionate about at the highest of levels, but ultimately was quite ill-fated. Um, but the idea was to try to help people do more with their time. And, uh, you know, the fundamental um, kind of product insight that, you know, we felt like, or, or product opportunity that we felt like existed was, you know, the set of tools that we use to manage our time is was very, very rudimentary. Um, you know, the if you think about where we were in mobile in 2011, really there weren't many third-party calendar applications. There's no Sunrise. There's yeah. no, you know, a bunch of these other things were exceptionally embryonic. Um, Google Calendar didn't have its dedicated iPhone app or mm. Android app or any of this stuff. So um, we were trying to figure out how you could create a way to help people uh, plan their days better uh, in a product that was built for touch. It was social first, not sort of as an after afterthought. In fact, the iPhone calendar still is not social. Um, uh, it had third-party content in it so that you know you could discover things to do, um, whether it was through other people or through uh, your affinity uh, groups or interests. Um, and sort of this was the vision that we could we could help people do more of the things they want to do and less of the things they don't um, by providing them tools to do that. And we spent um, about two years doing that. We, we raised a little bit of seed money uh, from my old firm, Excel, uh, a couple great uh, seed firms, uh, Founder Collective and Lear and uh, Red Swan and, and a handful of angels that we're close with. And you know, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity that they gave us. Um, raised a little less than a million bucks and um, made a lot of mistakes uh, on their dime, which I, which I still, uh, you know, I, I still think about quite a bit. So um, like, let, let's let's hear more about those mistakes because yeah. I mean, to some extent, um, one of the one of the funny things that founders sometimes feel is that VCs push on them kind yeah. of what they think is right. Yeah, not, not all VCs, but you know, the stereotype is there, and surely to some extent, you had heard some great advice in your days and across the different funds you worked in. Yeah. And then sort of the rubber hit the road, so to speak. What was like the first thing where you were like, crap, this is actually rolling out and playing differently than I expected in spite of what I already know? What was like the first kind of... The first thing is that being a VC is a terrible way to learn how to start a company. Um, and so in my, I mean, there are VCs that have done it and yeah. I would say those people tend to be probably people that would have been great entrepreneurs anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is about making a very different type of decision every second uh, than being an investor. And I, I just, I, I think I realized that I was kind of not in Kansas anymore. Um, and the second, uh, the second thing, I know you didn't ask, but the second thing that I realized was that, you know, there, it took a level of hubris to extrapolate um, from the, the sort of micro successes that I had had, you know, in college, in early venture capital and stuff like that, to believe that I understood product management. I had never, I mean, I, I, I had my experience building stuff before there was an iPhone. I mean, that, that was, those were, those were ideas. Those were sketches. Those weren't applications, right? And so um, I... I had a lot to learn, and I think I was overly confident in my ability to learn it on the fly with really no formal exposure yeah. and training uh, in that stuff. So, um, but I made, any, I made many more made many more mistakes. Horror stories. Any well, horror stories that you think would be kind of poignant on this? Well, I think I rushed. Uh, I mean, the the biggest 
two mistakes, like uh, actual tactical mistakes that I made after deciding to start the company um, were first, um, the co-founders that I chose to work with, both great guys, but we did not give ourselves enough time to marinate as a team and really figure out if it was going to work. We just kind of agreed to do it. And part of what sealed the deal was we raised money as a team, you know, and and a lot of the people that we raised money from were, were my friends and, you know, people that I had built relationships with over the past, you know, four or five years. And it just was harder to undo. And so, you know, uh, my co-founders are very talented people. We just we just were not the right culturally we're not right you know we, we had different we really did have different visions for what we wanted to build and we wound up compromising and creating like a Franken Frankenstein like product um, and so uh, you know the advice the other side of that is really take your time do the trials you know meet as many people as you can don't settle and really take your time to raise money because it you know, we didn't raise a Series A or a Series B, which is you know a, a sort of a different level of commitment and, and entrenchment. But um, it is it's a responsibility, you know. And and when you're playing with your own money, uh, it you know if it, it's a lot easier to shut things down, you know, to turn it off. You have nobody to answer to. And and we took that responsibility really seriously. And we we dragged the, the company out probably longer than it should have. Probably wasted a bunch of time. I mean, to, to some extent, you, you mentioned that you, you recruited co-founders, but in a way, did you ever consider just being you and, and sort of going at it alone or maybe bringing them on not as equal co-founders, yeah. but something else? I mean, again, you had yeah. a lot of experience with HR and configurations sure. and stuff. Honestly, I was too scared. I was too scared to do it alone. And... The to the, to the credit of my co-founders, uh, they'd been going at it. They'd been building um, iOS applications since 2007. They'd built you know 20 plus apps in the past and had early successes in the app store. Had several top 25 things, and you know uh, I knew they could do it. And so in some ways, I was riding off of their independence, um, f- you know, their ability to get things done. Mm-hmm. And um, they still do that, and it's to their credit. They're real entrepreneurs. What what other kind of like if you because you said sometimes you still think about those mistakes oh, yeah. and yeah. what what are the ones other ones that pop to your mind you're like crap you know if I could only do that again yeah um, other mistakes I would say um, you know just this vision alignment thing you know um, it I I really we both compromised a lot. In what we wanted to build, and we just we we wound up fighting so much uh, as a result of it. And I think at a certain point, you either need to commit to the same vision and and truly compromise and not be like emotional about it, or know and have the the gut strong enough gut to say that that compromise is foolish and just to walk and say this isn't right. Um, so really, I think that w- that would be one. I would say the next one is. Um, you know, I think that some of the entrepreneurs that I respect the most take some time in between the chapters of their career and they do like more soul, more soul searching. And I think that I had a deep fear of, of that being alone and not being able to pull it off by myself that I settled too early. And so 
when I think back to what I wish that I had done, I wish I had, you know, traveled a bit. I wish I had, you know, read more. I wish I had like kind of breathed a little bit. Cause remember I was moving back from Europe. You know, I had a whole bunch of drama in my uh, uh, romantic life at the time with a girl that I've been dating for a long time. It's just like all these things were kind of up in the air and to kind of just let it settle instead of trying to fix three or four or five things at once would have probably been the right thing. Mm. Um, but there are a bunch of micro things as well that, you know, along the way, micro mistakes that I made. With, with regards to the, the whole point about compromising with co-founders, um, do you find that now your ability to pick up on that nuance with teams you meet? Like, can you be yeah. like, you guys aren't really getting along, are you? I mean, do, do you find yeah. that that's helped you out now? I do. I do. I think, you know, the one thing that I'll say is we, we started, this is another mistake, um, we not only raised money too early in terms of the amount of time that we had been working together as co-founders, but also we raised money too early as it relates to kind of where we were in product. We were pre-product launch and pre-product in a lot of ways. I mean, we had something we could show you, but it was kind of a very early raw incarnation of what we wanted to build. And so, you know, I, I don't, and it was a consumer product. I don't really look, spend a lot of time with consumer products at that stage right now, in part because I know that that is the period of time where it's sort of most value, uh, malleable and, you know, prone to splintering and, and, and frustration. Mm -hmm. So I've sort of pulled a little bit back from that. Um, I would say that when I do see people in a room, um, I think what I look for more is I just look for, um, you know, basic things like turn taking in a meeting and, you know, um, do both people ask questions? Is one person give the other person credit when it's, you know, an idea that is theirs? I mean, you can see the sort of generosity. Yeah. And I think that when you find teams where, you know, you see people, and we're going to be co-CEOs of this company or something like that. When you see people jockeying for power, responsibility, titles, stuff like that, um, it's just sloppy. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I look for it. I, I am, I would say I am privileged in that uh, I, I really have tried to just filter those types of companies out entirely. By the time they get to the point where they're raising a Series A, which is most of where I spend my time. I do, I've do. i done four seeds in the last six months, which is actually quite a bit for me, but most of my time is the Series A level. The teams the teams don't have the same issues. They have, they have issues, and we have co-founders leave all the time from our companies, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, many times for good reason, but they're different. It's not like who's the CEO as much as it is... Um, you know, uh, somebody's role changing because, you know, maybe somebody was, yeah, pivot or, you know, somebody was really important uh, to building the first product, but they're not a manager and they yeah. don't like managing people and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's challenging. And, and I guess at some point you have to throw in the towel, so to speak. And, yeah, that was and, really hard. That was very hard. And, and what, 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 what was the trigger for that? Was it cash so, or was it something No, else? it wasn't. We actually gave our, we gave our investors uh, half their money back, which was kind of a, a relatively rare thing to do. Um, the reason why we did it and the way we knew it was the end was, or I'll just speak in the first person, the way I knew it was the end um, was that I had a lunch with a 
a, my co-founder and a, and a mutual friend. And we were talking to that mutual friend about Aquahire stuff, about whether we should, you know, you know, try to keep going as a team because we still had most, you know, more than half the money at the time in the bank. And we were in the middle of the conversation, and my co-founder um, basically uh, basically started talking about me and the company in a way that made me realize that we just had such a fundamental disconnect, like that would never be repaired. Um, and it it was something that took you know six eight months to build up, but there was like it was just a moment you knew. And I, you know, I kind of, we walked out, walked out of the door and we wound up getting a huge fight on the street and we never fought like that. And it was like very clear to me that the, there were elements of trust, there were elements of sort of uh, style, there were a bunch of things. And, you know, I think my co-founders, a great person, be very talented and C, will do great things, but just wasn't really the right person for me to partner with. And I think he would probably say the same thing about yeah. me. So. No, it's tough. I mean, partnerships are tough actually. Um, you know, we see it all the time with, with founders yeah. and breakups. Especially and, your stage. Yeah. And yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because Freshman and I are a partnership yeah, too. And exactly. so, you know, we fight. We have all our, our funny uh, uh, stories, ups and downs. But yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um, so you took, did you take any time off after that? After you said that you should yeah. have done that? Did you so take any time off this time? I didn't officially take time off, yeah. but I, I, you know, basically we knew that the company was ending, yeah. right? Uh, and we were going to return capital. So I sort of shouldered the responsibility uh, as a, as a, for the team to deal with all the wind down stuff, which was, you know, if you've ever dealt with that, it's not fun. Um, but I did that and, you know, they kind of went their own way. Um, and so the work on the company ratcheted down from, you know, a hundred plus percent, which is what a normal entrepreneur is doing to, you know, slowly 80, 60, 20, you know, and by the end, when I ultimately joined GC, I took a couple, two weeks off to do a trip to Japan and have some fun, but uh, I had been ratcheting down for a while. Yeah. So probably it was a three or four month period where I was, could go on long weekend trips places and I could read books and I could you know do a lot of yoga and do stuff that was sort of cleansing. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't. and I. That was probably a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think part of what's hard um, is there's always like another shiny thing that you that looks exciting, and having the discipline to say no, I need more time to reflect. But I I thought about this. I, I started talking to the the folks at GC six months before I wound up joining the firm, and you know, got to know them super casually, not even knowing where it would go. And you know, it was then over the subsequent. Uh, or you know, if it was a six-month period, the first two months was like not even a recruiting conversation or yeah. a hiring conversation. It was just, hey, these are nice guys, and yeah. then it slowly started to transition as my own future with my startup became clear, and I decided what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. I mean, that's, it sounds like you, you you at least transitioned smoothly there. Yeah. And maybe maybe, maybe this is a good opportunity to sort of um, share with people the kind of what what general catalyst is. I mean, sure. in many ways. European and, and rest of the world founders don't necessarily always yeah. recognize the name, but it's yeah. a very well-known name, yeah. um, and and also one that has multiple stages that it invests in, and, and so maybe you walk through kind of that and also sure. the stage you focus on. Sure. Yeah. So I joined. G the reason why I joined General Catalyst was um, one of my old colleagues from Excel 
uh, had moved to GC for family reasons. His wife needed to move back to the United States. Um, somebody I worked with a while was also sort of the sponsor of my investment, uh, uh, the investment in my company. Um, and he kind of rang me up and said, hey, how'd you like to open the New York office for GC? You know, we'd already um, done a good job of doing some investing in the city from far. We had companies like Warby Parker, uh, Handy, and a few others that were really starting to emerge. Some companies that had already exited, GroupMe and Hunch and a few others. And so um, it was that was really exciting. And uh, that was about two years ago. And you know, basically the story of GC is, you know, this is a, a Boston Cambridge based firm originally started by four uh, friends from high school, um, started off really not totally focused uh, on software and internet stuff. It was half that and half kind of special opportunities in a lot of ways. And over time has really um, zeroed in on IT, has um, uh, broadened our geographic uh, footprint. So we're now in Palo Alto, um, Cambridge, and New York City with the real view that early stage investing is a local business. Um, and, you know, this is very sort of contrary in a lot of ways to the way that much of the European venture ecosystem works yeah. um, just because of the way that the landscape is, is laid out. But um, And so, you know, in order to be uh, as helpful as possible to uh, our companies in each of our key geographies and also to be as prescient as possible about what opportunities will be coming through those ecosystems, um, you have to be on the ground. So we're only a couple people in New York. We're, we're two people on the investment team and a couple people sit in our office. And um, yeah, we do. We, we, we do seed through growth investing. Um, on the European front, um, we've done everything from investing in, you know, Russian travel company um, called Ostrovok to uh, Yplan, which is uh, kind of a mobile-first uh, booking application for social activities. Um, we invest in um, a, a Polish company called Brainly, which is really exciting. It's the, the, the biggest uh, online community for homework help in the mm -hmm. world, about 40 million uniques a month. Um, so we do some, but not at the seed level. And always with a uh, fundamental um, sort of dedication to one or multiple of the founders moving to the United States. And that is not um, born out of a belief that all companies need to do that, but that the companies we find that we can be the most helpful with are people that do that. And that's where we wind up find, you know, having the most impact and being able to understand you know, really what's going on. Yeah. So that's kind of how we operate. And... Um, uh, we're always eager to help companies make that transition. Yeah. You know, we think there's tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, Stockholm, Helsinki, um, London, Berlin, all those key key hubs. Um, and and their first stop is often New York. Yeah. You know, it's it's has the most heterogeneity in the in the types of companies that are here, probably of any ecosystem. And you know, from a time zone perspective, it's the most manageable, and all these things that you know super well. And candidly, it's one of the reasons why I like being here because I can still maintain my relationships with, you know, folks like you and, yeah. and others that, um, you know, view the city as so strategic. So, and I live with two British entrepreneurs, so just to oh, put really? it in perspective. Uh, yeah, cool. You're, yeah. you're, you're just one step away from one step away entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. At every point in your life, and 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 Europe. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's cool. I mean, it sounds to me like. Um, 
now that you're back in venture, like there's this whole different angle that you're bringing with it, you know? Yeah. And, and you hear about, uh, obviously, founders turns investors, but you don't very often hear about uh, product manager turned investor turned founder turned investor. Yeah. And that brings with it quite a bit of, of sort of empathy and, and a lot of visibility into different facets of, of being a founder. Yeah. Um, we generally like to end with an opportunity to, for you to shamelessly plug anything you want. Uh, did you give it some thought? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so my, my shameless plug is um, for the best European companies to come to New York City and to give General Catalyst a call. Um, whether we back you or we're just friends with you, um, you know, we're deeply, deeply committed to New York as an ecosystem and we're deeply committed to building the biggest companies that our ecosystem can support. And we're confident that some of those entrepreneurs will come from um, some cities we've been to, some cities we've never heard of in Europe. And uh, we're super excited to, to host all of you here. And, and just even if we don't invest, be helpful along the way. So. And I'm gonna give you the friend's discount. You get another shameless plug on a personal basis. Any okay. others? Uh, personal basis, look, uh, I'm, I am very excited about some of our companies that are penetrating Europe right now, um, you know, uh, big brands uh, that are making their, have made their name here first. So one of my companies is ClassPass, which is launched in London, and, I, and I'm confident it's going to be a very large consumer internet company. Um, Handy has done the same, um, which is a home cleaning uh, company, home services company. And so the plug is, you know, if you're listening to this from over there to use our services and, uh, you know, if you need like the friends and family discount code, I'm happy to provide that too. Hashtag Spencer Lazar. Cool. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Uh, Thank you. Spencer, for Good sharing the stories. Uh, I know it's kind of, it's probably hard to tell them. No, it's fine. Um, but it's good. harder, harder a long time ago than it was today. I can imagine. All right, guys. Uh, and with that, thank you very much for joining us.